What's up, my dudes? What's up, my dudettes? It's the Casey's Corner Podcast recording live on this Thursday. I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. I've got my call-in guest booked for Thursday night, so by the time you guys actually get this, it'll be Thursday night, Friday morning, drive time, Friday morning type of thing. But that's okay. We'll try to keep things as um, untopical as possible. I'm not going to talk about things that are happening right now on Thursday. That'll be dated by the time you listen to this. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way. Um, Thibodeau High School football coach Chris Duga will be on the line. His Tigers are getting ready to play their 2020 high school football season, as are the other teams in the area. Coach Duga is a good dude. We're going to talk to him about uh, his team and, and everything that they're planning to do. They're supposed to be one of the top dogs in the area. Um, we're going to talk to him about the way his team is practicing and you know now they're able to put the pads on and all that good stuff. So we're going to have Coach Duga on in the first segment, or excuse me, in the first call-in interview to give us a rundown of things at Thibodeau High School. Then we're going to have a good friend of the show's, good friend of mine, Nichols golf coach James Schilling on Coach Schilling is going to um, talk to us about some of the challenges they're facing over at Nichols. Um, sports are shut down for the fall semester. Um, Nichols golf is is unlike very many sports in, in that campus. And what I mean by that is they recruit guys literally around the, the world. So without the ability to you know, scout these amateur tournaments that are happening all over the place, they're not having the ability to you really scout at all because some of those events may have been postponed or canceled or whatever it may be. It's going to present some challenges. Uh, and then also the challenges of having a highly international roster. You know, did all those guys get the opportunity to come back to Thibodeau with travel restrictions and all of those things? So they've got a whole lot going on. So we'll talk to Coach Schilling about that. In addition, it's the U.S. Open this weekend. Um, we talked to Coach Schilling about who he is high on. I've had some internal conversations with him in the last couple of days um and he and i are you know we kind of um are picking some of the same players so we'll give you know kind of our thoughts and our rundown for how we think the u.s open might go over the next several days and then we'll break uh the the show down at the end with you know just in the general sports and we talk some nba um crazy things happen uh my rockets fizzled you know got beat up by the lakers my Clippers, who I picked to win the NBA championship, fizzled. Uh, the Nuggets, who I gave zero chance to compete against the Clippers, won that series in seven games. Madness. Complete madness. Um, then, you know, we're also going to talk NFL, some things that I liked in week one. Going to make some picks in week two. Then we're going to, you know, make fun of the Big Ten because now they've cowered and decided that they're going to play college football after all. Uh, we're going to uh, make some you know, betting picks and, and all this, that, and the other. We're going to have a lot of fun in the final segment of the show. Talk some MLB. The MLB playoffs are right around the corner. So all that and more in the final segment of the show. Um, but first, I wanted to do a couple of things here in this first segment. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, 
I'm sincerely sorry to our regular listeners here. We've been on a highly irregular schedule here in the last couple of weeks. Um, You know, my work schedule is already a grind as it is. Um, It's already a challenge as it is in normal times. And I kind of just do the show around, you know, my own personal spare time off of the clock. Um, But whenever you take all of those things and then throw, you know, with the busiest hurricane season in recent memory on top of that, and then, oh yeah, the busiest hurricane season in recent memory is going to also uh, whiplash the state of Louisiana now several times. I have been full-time reporter. I've been full-time storm tracker. I've been full-time, you know, son trying to get a house ready and then full-time evacuee as my family went to Opelousas this past week out of a precaution with Sally in the Gulf. And it's just been a lot. And I know I've not been as regular recording and posting as I as I should be, quite frankly, And on top of that, I've done a poor job planning because, you know, coaches and, you know, athletes and all those people, they're back in school. So I can't just on a whim shoot a text message to coach and say, hey, bro, you don't want to, you know, do you want to come on the podcast in 10 minutes? Doesn't work that way anymore. So I got to work a little bit more in advance. That's on me. That's my bad. Uh, We've done a good job throughout this summer building this audience. And I feel like I've let you guys down in the last month or so. So we're going to try to get back into a more regular routine, try to get back in a more regular rhythm. And, um, you know, that, that, that the, the lack of show posting in the last couple of weeks is not enough time in the day. Uh, but I've got to do better at managing that time to make sure that there is enough time in the day. As I said, spend some time in Opelousas. want to also give a shout out to the Brown family in Opelousas. They housed my family and I. Over the last several days, beautiful form country out there. You know, got to play with some horses and some cows, and I had a great time. Stayed safe with the company of great friends. So thanks to the Brown family in Opelousas for housing us, uh, treating us, you know, just tremendously well. Um, they are, you know, fans of our reporting here in Lafouche Parish, even out in western Louisiana. Um, learned how to uh, feed a baby calf in the last couple of days. That was fun. So shout out to those folks out there for treating us well and allowing us to pass a good time. Hurricane Sally, as we said, was a bit of a shoo-shoo. Um, well, it was a shoo-shoo for us. It wasn't a shoo-shoo for Alabama and Florida, dropping tons and tons of rain. Um, it was expected to make landfall at the mouth of the Mississippi River and just thankfully kept drifting further and further east. Um, the Mississippi Gulf Coast even mostly was spared, um, and it ended up making landfall near Mobile, which Dallas, the Panhandle, Florida, Dallas, coastal Alabama, and now upwards, Georgia and the Carolinas even is getting it. So we pray for all those folks who are without electricity or dealing with flooding. And man, just keep your eyes peeled. This has been a very busy and very wild storm season, and we're still just getting into the beginning of the peak of the storm season. So we may see even more name systems and storms here in the coming weeks and months ahead. Um, our weather here, everybody's kind of paying attention to this little disturbance in the southwestern gulf and i've got a lot of messages from people asking well why hasn't the gazette written about the the new storm well uh there's a couple of reasons for that first it's not anything yet (laughs) it's not anything yet it's not a new storm it's just a disturbance computer models are saying may become a storm in the coming days um we're gonna deal with that whenever it develops if it develops Um, And in between now and then, I would strongly encourage folks in southeast Louisiana to relax. Um, 
Find some peace. Find some serenity. Be mindful of the situation. Continue to, you know, watch the evening news or whatever it may be. Um, but I'm not going to track uh, every model run for a storm that hasn't formed yet. Um, I think, A, that's irresponsible to the readers uh, because that, that stuff is highly inaccurate. B, I don't think it's good for any of our peace of mind to be, you know, diving too deep into that stuff with it being so inaccurate. And C, the weather over the weekend is going to be absolutely gorgeous. Like, there's a cold front coming down where temperatures going to be in the low 80s. Morning temperatures are going to be in the mid-60s. Um, so we'll cross that bridge whenever we get to it. If that storm in the Gulf becomes an issue and it needs to be reported on, we're going to report on it. Um, but I'm not going to play the model game, the computer model game, the internet hysteria game. I'll let other local media do that because they're desperate for clicks and can't and are not talented enough to generate interest in any other way other than scaring their readers. Um, but I trust in our audience and they trust in me to tell them whenever it is time to pay attention to something. And right now, just simply, you know, it's not time to panic. It's time to, you know, just follow it, see, you know, that it's out there, know that there may be something in the next week. But whenever it's time to worry, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Um, following computer model guidance and playing the computer model game had Laura going to the panhandle of Florida. It ended up going to Lake Charles. That's a several hundred mile difference. Playing the computer model game had Marco going into the Mexico-Texas border and ended up approaching the mouth of the Mississippi River and fizzling into nothing. So playing the computer model game before a system's you know, center even forms is, is not the way to go. That's, that's, it's irresponsible. No one knows where that thing's going to go. We'll let the cold front pass. While that cold front's coming down, we're blocked. Nothing could happen this weekend. We'll enjoy the good weather. We'll revisit early next week, and if it becomes time to worry, then we'll start worrying. But if you know, you guys have asked me, oh, well, where's the update for such and such? I'll worry about such and such whenever it becomes a such and such. Right now, it's just a little spin. It's not developed. It's not a depression. It's not a tropical storm, and we'll cross that bridge whenever it gets here. Um, one last thing, and then we'll take a commercial break, and then we'll finish up the show diving deep into sports, uh, the stuff that you guys are subscribing to listen to. Um, since our last show, we've uh, gotten into phase three of economic reopening, which I think is a good decision on the governor's part. I find it humorous that people, even though they have been whining and clamoring and complaining for phase three now for two months, um, are still not satisfied because there are restrictions on bars and whatever it may be. But I'm not here to upset or offend anyone. If that's your opinion, um, I disagree with you. Um, and I think that, you know, you should probably be more open to the idea that we're last in the country per capita in COVID still, even to this day. Um, so maybe the fact that other states could do things and we can't is uh, by design because we've had a far worse COVID hit. And the reason why we've had a far worse COVID hit is because we've had far less COVID cooperation amongst people in our state. Uh, but anyway, we're moving forward into phase three most businesses now could operate at 75% of their fire marshal capacity, which like really is not restricted at all, right? Like how often do you go into a business? And this is the general message of what I'm trying to explain. And then I'll give you some numbers. I hear all the people complaining. And I really truly believe at this point that people are complaining just for the sake of hearing themselves complain. Because most people 
like don't even really understand how this all works. Like when was the last time that you were actually at a business that was so full that the fire marshal was having to turn people away? Like the answer to that question is probably like not any time in the last almost half decade, unless if, you know, it's Mardi Gras and you're frequenting, you know, a high traffic area, whatever it may be. 75% capacity of most businesses now is like pretty much far more than what that business usually has on any given day. That's pretty much unrestricted. Do you know what 75% of Walmart's fire marshal capacity would be? We're looking at a number in the thousands. When was the last time you'd go into Walmart and there were a thousand people there? Like most of these businesses are able to have far more people in them than you realize. And most of these businesses on their quote unquote busy days are not even scratching the surface of what their fire marshal numbers actually are. So 75% for us is really not like restricted at all. And, and in some rare instances, it's going to be, and it sucks. And I get it. Some people may lose a little bit of revenue, but like we're going in the right direction. And, and this inclination of, man, t- take off every restriction. Let's get all the way back to normal. No, that's stupid. That would get us further into being restricted. You ease back into this. You see what you could do comfortably. You go forward whenever you master that. You go backward when you can't. And you figure out while going backward, what do you have to do to change the outcome and the result? This idea of, man, okay, hey, COVID's over. Let's do whatever we want to do. That gets us into a period to where this thing's going to last longer than what it needs to. That type of closed-minded, irrational thinking is the reason why seven months into this, we're still dealing with restrictions instead of being fully out of it. Because instead of listening to what we're being told to do, we're saying that masks don't work and we're saying, you know, this, that, and the other. And that brings me to another point before I get into the numbers. People are complaining and, and arguing about, oh, bro, why, why can't we why can't we take off our mask? Why, you know, why is the masking uh, still in place? Well, A, um, the masking is still in place because it works. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any other way to put it at this point. You know, as soon as we started wearing them, our numbers started going down. And then now there are studies being done by scientists which say that um, the act of wearing a mask uh, limits the the COVID vapors that you inhale if you are in contact with a COVID patient, which they're now saying the more vapors that you inhale at the time of infection, the less sick you're going to get. And in some cases, the reason why people test positive and are asymptomatic is because they inhale very few vapors and maybe from someone at a distance. And it's almost like by having that mask on and and limiting the, you know, amount of quote unquote germs that you're taking in, you're almost naturally giving yourself a COVID shot. And that's part of the reason why there are some people who get so brutally sick and some people who are asymptomatic is because they're now learning that, um, the level to which you get sick from this is heavily influenced by how much of those COVID vapors slash germs slash whatever you want to call them you inhale at the point of your infection. And by wearing a mask, you almost guarantee yourself that those vapors that you're inhaling at the time of infection are going to be less than if you didn't have one on. So we're going to be dealing with this now for the next several months because it works. Because it works. Because it's our best path forward. It's our best way to getting this thing out of the the 
you know, the future and, and into the past. The state of Louisiana currently reports almost 160,000 COVID cases. I'm not going to talk about the you know, totals a whole lot because 145,000 people have recovered. So there's only a little more than 10,000 active cases of the virus in Louisiana, which is excellent. Our percent positive rate has been under 10% for several days. It's been under 5% for many days. Today it was right at 5%. Lafouche Parish's percent positive rate is now 3% uh, for today. It varies, you know, 6% some days, 4% some days, but we're consistently under 10%. We've made tremendous progress. Our hospitalizations have dropped from 1,600 down to 663. Our ventilators are down to 106. Our death rate has dropped uh, consistently now to where we're losing fewer than 20 people per day. Um, at the peak of this latest wave, we had gotten to a point where, you know, 40, 45, 50 a day at a time. And the first wave, we were losing 80, 90, 100 in a day. So we're continuing to level this thing off. And now the um, virus is on the ropes. Uh, but there are a couple of things that could get in the way in the future. A, flu season, which is going to naturally limit some of the uh, hospital beds that are available in our state. So that's going to give us less leeway for any future COVID spikes. So flu season, get your flu shot. If you don't usually get one, maybe consider getting one. If you think they don't work, you're um, not being truthful to yourself because every study so shows that even if it quote-unquote doesn't work and you get the flu anyway, your symptoms are not going to be as severe. You're less likely to be hospitalized. You're less likely to have a serious ailment. Get a flu shot. B, continue to do the things that you're being coached to do. Those things, um, while frustrating and while you know may not be fun, those things are the reason why we're this far along. Uh, so don't go back on them now. Don't give up on them now. Um, we were at a similar point in June where we had this thing fully on the ropes, fully close to being licked, and then we kind of let our guard down, uh, kind of stopped the pract practicing the distancing and some of the different things like that. Then that combined with some of the you know protests and everything around the country uh, widened out our exposures and uh, allowed for a second wave. So let's learn from all that and not allow ourselves to have a third wave. And then maybe if we do that, our year 2021 with the vaccine, with the distancing measures and all the different things that we're preaching, uh, maybe we could get this thing out of the door for good. So let's catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, Chris Dugak, Thibodeau High School, James Schilling, Nichols Golf. Then we'll wrap up with a sports segment. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Let's take a quick break to welcome our new Casey's Corner sponsors, Ortho LA. Ortho LA is committed to improving the lives of patients by providing effective, innovative orthopedic care with the highest level of integrity, compassion, and professionalism. Ortho LA has seven board-certified and fellowship-trained surgeons that focus on the diagnosis and treatment of conditions, disorders, and the injuries of muscles, bones, joints, tendons, ligaments, and nerves. Ortho LA has five locations in the area and they accept all patients, including children, and they treat a wide variety of ailments, sports injuries, chronic conditions, workplace injuries, and others. Ortho LA accepts most major insurance companies and no referral is required. Providing expert care close to home. That's Ortho LA. Check them out today. I came to, I came play. to play. There's a price to pay. Time for you to get down on your knees. I came to play. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, the Thibodeau High School football coach, Chris Dugas on the line. Coach Dugas, good afternoon, man. How are you? 
Good. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, we are approaching very rapidly now uh, the start of the high school football season. We've got uh, the end of the week this week, and then we've got some scrimmages, and then we've got full steam ahead to week one of the season. How are things going right now in Tigerland? Pretty good. Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of had some hiccups there with these storms kind of, uh, you know, Laura uh, put us off for a week, and then uh, the last storm, Sally, had us missing two days this week. So we're a little out of routine, but we, we, we kind of settled in a little bit finally. We had a, a couple of good days of practice the last two days. So, uh, you know, hopefully we try to, you know, hit our stride as far as a routine because kids, coaches, we're all creatures of habit. We need to get into that routine and have that, you know, that game week prep and be able to, you know, do that and repeat it week after week. So I'm just hoping these storms go away and we can get rid of these things and kind of settle the kids into an everyday routine. There's, um, you know, so much talk about COVID, but I feel like the thing that's being forgotten is it's still 90 degrees outside. And, you know, these guys have not been doing as much as in normal seasons. And there's going to be concerns about, you know, heat exhaustion and, you know, that just the physical, uh, you know, shape that kids need to be in to physically play football. And with some of those challenges, you know, the storms taking away some days and then, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, do you feel like you guys are on pace to where you're going to be able to comfortably play a football game here in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I feel like we're getting there, you know. And and look, the first few games, you know, in in, in normal years, when you when you play your first, uh, you know, your week one, you jamber, you scrimmage, you always got the cramping issues. So uh, I know it's later in the year, but it's still kind of hot. Uh, I would expect us to have some minor cramping issues in the first two or three weeks of the season just because kids are not accustomed to that uh, adrenaline flowing on a Friday night. You know, it's not only uh, it's hot out there, it's the adrenaline on top of that, so you're sweating even more. So uh, I expect a few little issues and a few little hiccups, you know, maybe those first couple of weeks. But I think we'll probably have that ironed out by, you know, the second game or so to where it's running a little bit smoother. You guys were slated to play McDonough 35 in your in your opener, uh, but there's all these talks about you know Orleans Parish schools may or may not be able to, to compete. Have you gotten any guidance about whether or not they're going forward and, and if that game is going to still happen? Uh, I talked with Coach Daggs over at 35, and uh, he assured me we're good to go. Uh, they're going to play. Uh, you know they were they were coming to us anyway, so it's not a situation to where we would have to worry about, uh, you know, using a stadium, uh, you know, finding a place to play because they're not allowing them to play in Orleans Parish. But as far as I know right now, he's busing to practice in Jefferson Parish, and uh, they're getting some practices in. And he told me, he said, I got two schedules in my phone. I got one, you know, if, if we can get to phase three in Orleans to where we can play games in Orleans, I got one schedule for that. And then he called uh, Jefferson Parish and, and reserved some stadiums over there uh, just in case Orleans doesn't make phase three by the time he has a home game. And he's got another schedule where he basically, you know, will play his home games at one of the Jefferson Parish stadiums uh, in order for those guys to be able to still host games. So uh, as far as I know, we're good to go with them right now. That is that is crazy having that much uncertainty. But then I say that, and then looking, you know, locally, we're in a situation where there's such an official shortage that you guys had to move two games from a Friday to a Thursday. 
Um, what have you guys heard about that? And from talking to some referee friends that I have, man, it sounds like it's pretty bad. And they're not just short, but like very short for the upcoming year. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I talked with Mr. Gunn, Danny Gunn, the head of the officials, and, you know, he kind of sent some information out to all the head coaches that they were having some issues uh, getting officials registered and having enough officials to run, you know, uh, even five-man crews in some cases. You know, we, we kind of prefer the, the six- and seven-man crews on Friday nights, but we've had situations where we've had five-man crews before, and they, you know, with so many games in the area, they're having some issues trying to find guys, you know, especially for Friday night games. So we were, uh, we went ahead and moved our last two games to Thursdays to try to accommodate those guys. They were asking uh, teams to move one. We decided to move two. Uh, we, we, we moved the HL game. That was a week where they were kind of overloaded. And then the last week of the season, they were overloaded too. And I just kind of think, you know, it'll work out better for us, uh, you know, if, you know, in that last week of the season, you, you, you possibly a playoff team, you know, having that Thursday game gives you that extra day, you know, where you have that, that Friday off, you know, where your kids have another day to recover, get treatment, and get ready for, you know, that first round of the playoffs. So I think moving that, that East St. John game to the Thursday will end up working out pretty well for us if we where we need to be where I think we're going to need uh, where we're going to be at the end of the year. Uh, possibly looking at uh, playing in, you know, that extended season and playing in the playoffs and having an extra day for that, you know, I think, you know, could be big, especially if you got some bumps and bruises. Coach, looking at your schedule, you guys are doing something a little bit different this year. Uh, you're going to be having your first game of the season be senior night. What went into that decision and that, that and that thought process to kind of go against the grain and instead of having the last home game be senior night, be, have it just do the first home game, get it out the way? Well, I just, you know, I don't want to take any chances that, sure. you know, uh, we get another spike, you know, and, and something happens again with COVID. Uh, we're going to go ahead and honor the seniors in the first game just to make sure that we get it in, you know. Uh, of course, we could have waited until the last game, but I just, you know, I, I say we do it now and get it done and make sure that those seniors have a chance to get honored uh, for the season this year, you know, in case something would happen. I mean, it. I'm hoping nothing does and we don't get canceled, but just in case, uh, we're going to get it done in the first game. I've heard, you know, some different numbers from different coaches around the area about what their, you know, their stadiums hold and this, that, and the other. So what is your capacity? And then I guess, you know, second part to that is what is 25% of your capacity over at Thibodeau High School's football stadium? Uh, I think the calculations that they came up with is roughly 600 on each side of the stadium. So, uh, uh, what we're doing is is we're going to put tickets on sale uh, for parents of football, uh, band, cheer, and dance uh, first. They're going to get first uh, crack at tickets. Uh, that would be on the Monday and the Tuesday they would buy from the school. And then after that's done, whatever's left over would go into a general sale on Wednesday and Thursday uh, we, we're just going to sell it at the ticket booth in the afternoons. And uh, that would be open to general public sales. And then visiting-wise, we would allot the visiting team however many tickets they would want and sell at pre-sale. And then whatever they don't sell would be available for us to sell to home fans, but they would have to have 
a visiting side tickets. I, I think we're going to do two different colors of tickets. So where you have a home side, one color ticket, and a visiting side, another color ticket. So uh, that's kind of our preliminary plan right now. So I don't think there'll be many gate sales for tickets. I think everything will be pre-sale for us. Very good. So, you know, looking at 1,200, um, I don't. I know that you guys draw a good home crowd, but, you know, I obviously have never seen any numbers or anything. Is, is 1,200 about the norm for you guys? Do you usually get, do a little more, a little less? What's kind of the average for you guys? Uh, we usually do a little better, depending on, you know, if we're playing a local team like it's Thibodeau Central, we, we put in quite a few. So uh, we'll definitely be uh, under that with the 1,200 uh, than what we normally are when we play a, a you know, a Central Lafourche game at home or a, a South Lafourche, like a parish rivalry sure. type game. Uh, we usually draw pretty big crowds for that. So uh, we'll probably be a little under, but at least we're getting to have something uh, you know, to help the program pay officials, pay transportation and stuff like that, because, uh, you know, no matter what, we still got to pay the bills. So uh, I'm just excited that we're getting to have some fans. I know it's not going to be the same, but, uh, you know, it was better than I originally thought it was going to end up being. So uh, we'll just deal with what we got and hopefully uh, we can sell that 1200 every week to, uh, to help the program pay the bills. Very good. Give me a rundown of, of next week. I know it's a scrimmage week. Who do you guys got, and what are some things you're going to be looking to see that would make you pleased with your performance in your scrimmage? Uh, we have South Terrebonne next Friday uh, at Thibodeau High School at 6 o'clock. Uh, we've, we've been scrimmaging South Terrebonne, I think, since I've been the head coach at Thibodeau. It's about 9 or 10 years we've been scrimmaging those guys. Always a good scrimmage. Uh, what I like about South Terrebonne, always a real tough physical team. They usually knock in the mouth. They run it right at you. So it's a good test uh, for us defensively because in high school football, if you can't stop the run, you're usually in trouble. So this will be a good test for our defense to see how we stop the run. And I know this year they got a pretty good quarterback over that Arsenal kid. Uh, I think his older brother played at Nichols was an offensive lineman at Nichols. He uh, you know, comes from a pretty good athletic family. And I've heard some really good things about him. So uh, they may be throwing it around a little bit more than usual. So that'll test our secondary a little bit, too. And defensively, with uh, Coach McCormick back over there, I know they're going to be tough on defense. Uh, you know, Coach Adams is a new head coach over there. I know Archie real well. Does a good job. They always physical play, a real physical brand of defense. So it'll be a good test for our offense. See if we can, uh, you know, get the ball to our playmakers and Luke can distribute the ball around. And, uh, you know, see how we how we look at offensively. We're replacing a lot of guys on the offense. So it'll be a young offense out there. So it'll be a good test for us. You know, you talked about uh, South Terrebonne's quarterback, and he is a good one. You guys have a good one as well. Um, talk about the way uh, Lucas played so far in camp and then also the, you know, the transition, as you said, to some younger, you know, less experienced receivers. How's that been going so far? Well, Luke kind of just picked up where he left off from. You know, he uh, – you know, he did a lot of work in the off season, get better. I mean, I think he's he's even better than where he left off last year. So, uh, I, we expect big things from Luke. He, he, you know, he's just a tough kid. Uh, you know, and, and I think he's an underrated runner. You know, I think he's going to do some things with his legs this year too. That's going to surprise some people. Not only can he hang in the pocket and really spin the ball, but when we get pressure and some of those teams want to blitz and try to get in his face, I think he can hurt you with his legs a little bit too. So uh, he's got some new guys to distribute the ball to. He's still got his safety blanket with Ferrante Miller. 
Bronte's uh, a four-year starter basically for us. Started at tailback as a freshman. So uh, he's got Ferrante back. Some new receivers, you know, the Lacey's and the Davises and the Prices and the Tyron Youngs of the world all going now and all, all playing college football now. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a change. But I think from what I saw so far in practice, you know, the young guys are picking it up. He's doing a good job of mentoring those young receivers. So uh, I think we'll be just fine. Coach, two years ago, you guys were ravaged by injuries. Really young team, had a big time, you know, uh, injury bug. Last year, not quite as bad. Was that just an, a case of, you know, the kids maturing into their bodies, being physically stronger a little bit? Or did you guys do something different to kind of prepare their bodies? Can you kind of talk about that? I think it could be a little bit of both, you know. Uh, a lot of times when you put those younger kids out there and you start a lot of young sophomores and stuff, the speed of the game is just so different and the physicality is different from jumping from JV or freshman to 5A football on Friday nights when you when you line it up against Hanville and Destrehan and East St. John and Terrebonne, HL Central, all these physical teams, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a different ball game to, from what you used to play and especially, you know, when you bring in some of those freshmen that, you know, you got to put in a freshman in there and start, and he's going from playing middle school ball to 5A football. It's just a big jump. And sometimes, you're right, the body is just not quite there yet. It takes a little time for the body to mature. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of it. But I also think a big part of it is your weightlifting program. And uh, our summer program last season, you know, the the, the, the season for Kyron and those guys that graduated, uh, I mean, we, we had great participation and those guys really got after it. They realized we had to become a more physical football team before we were going to compete in the district that we're in. And uh, they did a really good job of that. And, you know, if you if you got a great summer weight program, a lot of times it, t- it kind of takes care of a lot of those injuries. And uh, I, th- I think that's one thing that we really stepped up. You know, those guys placed a big importance on it, and they got a lot stronger. And by getting a lot stronger, I think their bodies were just more prepared. Uh, this year is kind of yet to be seen because – our summer program was kind of cut short, if you think about it. We started on the 8th, we started a little bit later, and then we got shut down for that little period when they shut us down on the 15th. So uh, I'm kind of nervous a little bit about that. Uh, you know, we missed a few days of weightlifting because of that situation. So uh, I'm hoping that we've caught back up a little bit, but it does kind of make me a little nervous going forward uh, with the injury bug to see if, you know, not having that normal weight, season that off-season weight program uh getting cut short is going to affect us we have um a pretty good idea of of what some of the bayou teams locally are going to have and we know that it's a very talented year and you guys are figuring to be in the mix we don't hear as much about the river schools because they're a little bit farther away um you've been coaching against them for years you're familiar with the personnel tell us a little bit about hanville destrandy st john and and and, you know some of the talents and and some of the skills that those three squads are going to be having over in 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 your bayou river river district well i'll kind of start with east st john first because coach brown this is his third year uh at east st john he he's he's kind of the old guy in the river now uh with with the coaching changes so uh he does a really good job over there East St. John is always, always, always loaded with a lot of speed. And it won't be any different this year. They got those two defensive ends that are Division One football players, the Williams kid and the Marshall kid, are just outstanding. Uh, and 
they're going to be tough. I think one of them may be moving the middle backer, but they're going to be really tough on defense, fly to the football. They play a real physical brand of football at East St. John. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be a tough out for everybody. Uh, Hanville, with, Hanville and Destrahan are both, uh, both had coaching changes. Coach Salt moved over to Holy Cross, and Coach Rope finally, you know, hung it up. I feel like Coach Rope's been there forever, yeah. you know. But uh, finally retired, and uh, you got Marcus, Coach uh, Marcus Scott at Destrahan, where Marcus has been to a lot of programs and done really well. Wes Jeff, Eric coached at Nichols for a while done a great job and he was also at Destrahan before that uh I think Destrahan will be pretty good they got uh Jai Eugene who, who's a, a well-known corner that came out of Destrahan uh played at LSU I think his son's going to be the quarterback uh they got a good they got a good bunch over there they're always pretty talented Hanville uh coach Daniel Luquette is the new head coach he was the offensive coordinator for coach Salt last year um I don't really know a whole lot about Hanville as far as what they're going to do offensively now. I know he was, uh, you know, with a tight end, three wide type stuff, you know, a lot of down kick out power run game. But I think Coach Lukett is truly a spread guy. I think Coach Salt was kind of more, we're going to run the football, play great defense. That was always Salt's MO. So uh, I don't know if Coach Lukett might not open up the offense a little bit more this year. And you'll see more of a different type of Hanville team instead of that power run game more of a true spread team so it'll be interesting with with the new coaches on the river and uh to see what those programs are going to look like now can't wait to see it coach we thank so much for the time and uh best of luck to you guys in your scrimmage hope you guys stay healthy and, and come out of that and make a lot of progress all right man appreciate it take care we thank Thibodeau football coach chris Duga for the time uh great interview as always they've got a good football team they're gonna have a really strong season and I look forward to seeing how far they might be able to go. So let's catch a quick commercial break when we get back. Nichols golf coach James Schilling. We're going to talk about some of the challenges going on with his golf team. And also some of the things that we expect to see in the U.S. Open, which is uh, round one is now wrapped up out in New York. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LafoucheGazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. Guess what, guys? We have another exciting announcement to make about some of the wonderful ways that we're going to be serving our public going forward here at the Lafouche Gazette. Beginning this fall, we're going to be launching our Generation Next series, which is going to be highlighting some of the amazing young men and women who are in our Lafouche Parish school system. These are going to be young men and women who are in school clubs and are succeeding in the classrooms and are doing everything possible to establish themselves as the next leaders in our community. Our Generation Next series is going to involve your help. We need your help in the community to make this happen. So if you've got any student that you would like to recommend, if you've got any student that you'd like to nominate, send them to me, please. Just Blair Casey at gmail.com. G-I-S-C-L-A-I-R-C-A-S-E-Y at gmail.com. Together, we're going to shine a spotlight on these amazing young men and women and give them the recognition that they deserve. We are LeFou Strong. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, Nichols golf coach, Coach James Schilling. Coach, good afternoon, man. How are you? It's great. It's, uh, it, 
a great week, Casey. We've got the U.S. Open going on, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on your show. Sure, man. Uh, you guys are in a unique time, a time like no other, uh, with the fall sports semester, uh, you know, kind of being you know, postponed because of COVID nineteen. Um, how are things going right now for Nichols Golf? What are some things that you guys are able to do? It's, it's interesting that you would ask that, Casey. We just released our schedule for the spring, so we have a full schedule uh, set set for that. That's uh, on our website at gocolonels.com. Uh, we have our first two events, which uh, the first one that we host is going to be down uh, in Matthew, over in Matthews um, at Latour Golf Club. So we have the Latour Intercollegiate, so that'll bring some teams into the area. And then we co-host with University of New Orleans over at Diamond Head in Mississippi. So uh, aside from that, just, you know, uh, things are going well on campus right now. Uh, everyone's really pleased with how things are moving forward this semester and the progress that we've made with classes so far. Um, the, the, the players are adapting. We, we are able to practice um, at our on-campus facility and, and over at our home course at the tour. So that's been really nice to give the players an outlet to be able to, to work on their game and, and work towards something with them knowing that we have a spring season. Talk about really quickly approaching. Um, sorry to interrupt you, coach. Uh, just talk about no the, the, um, the challenges. I mean, y- your job is already difficult to begin with. And then now, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to um, try to recruit future players, but you know, the ability to travel may be restricted or, you know, some of the, the high school, you know, tournaments or events that you may be scouting or whatever may be restricted. How do you find guys in a world that is shut down? On a positive note, you know, we, we do still have tournaments going on, regional tournaments, um, larger tournaments on a larger scale. So junior golf has continued, you know, and what you and I have seen, in the in the sports landscape in general, overall golf is a sport that's doing fairly well. Yeah. It, it, it's actually um, seen a little uh, uptick in viewers and in rounds of golf play because it's one of the sports that you can socially distance and play. Uh, it, it's if you know now we're learning more about that as things go on, but we saw this all summer with the PGA Tour being one of the first. Uh, organized sporting groups to come back. I guess it was them and NASCAR. Um, but back to your, back to your question. I'm just very appreciative that there are still tournaments to go on going on. And, and for a coach, at least you're getting uh, some method of being able to evaluate players. Cause if the, if the, if, if the players weren't playing in tournaments, uh, it would be even more difficult than it is right now. This is difficult for everybody. Every landscape's been affected. Um, you know, if, if it's at the high school level, the college level, the higher FBS college level, um, everyone's been affected. So we're just uh, we're basically uh, writing the manual as we're as we're going along here and just taking it day by day. Recently, I don't you know the NCA announced very recently that recruiting will be shut down through the end of the year. So that's been extended again. So it makes the data collection and you looking at the players that are able to play um, very, very important. You know, a lot of the players, potential prospective student athletes that had offers or were offered 
uh, say, a year ago before COVID, they were in a very difficult spot. They were, they were under the impression that the coaches would be out recruiting all summer and be able to watch them play. And th- that just hasn't happened because since we've had the dead period from the NCAA at Division One, that extension and moving now even into the end of the year, there will not be any on- off-campus recruiting. And that will affect every sport, not just golf. Very good. And in terms of... Your team, I know you got guys from all over the place. Was every, you know Everyone was able to get back into Thibodeau safely, and you guys didn't have any issues or anything with that? The majority, the majority of our team was able to get back. We have a couple guys that are going to be coming back in next semester, but the majority of the team is here on campus. Uh, once the flight started opening back up, uh, it, was, it was encouraging to see the players want to get back here, you know, and – I think that's why it's so important for us to still have practice to give them an avenue to work on their games, working towards, you know, that, that mid-February tournament that we have here in 2021 at Latour. Very good. And, and Coach, um, talk about, you know, just how awkward it is. I mean, we're in the middle of September. Uh, we should be celebrating and talking about, you know, the beginning of, you know, the Southland Conference schedule for the Colonel football team and talking about volleyball and, and, you know, all the different things going on on campus that are not. Talk about, you know, just how awkward it is to be having a a fall semester where there are no contests being played on campus. You know, uh, we've been spared uh, here in, 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 in the Bayou region with the hurricanes. Yeah. What we're going through with, with, what we're going through with COVID is, is difficult enough, but we just had two storms, one being Laura and it, it, we're, we're, we're two and a half weeks out. And some of my friends over in the Lake Charles area at McNeese, they're still without water. I mean, this is a, they're having to boil water at night and stuff like that. Now, listen, if any, if any area understands what that was like, uh, unfortunately, as you know, Hurricane Katrina gets all of the headlines, but we know what that was like for Hurricane Gustav. I mean, it was bad. Uh, and that was not near as bad as what our friends in Lake Charles went through. And then we just had Sally that missed us at the last moment and hit the Mobile area. So our friends of South Alabama take us, took a pretty good hit there. But uh, putting all of that together, it's been a very strange uh, semester. I'm a huge sports fan for all sports, high school, um, male, female, you know, uh, high level NCAA, lower level NAI. I'm just a huge sports fan in general. And to not really have that going on, it's been, it's, 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 it's been strange. It's been a huge adjustment for all of us. Um, but one thing that I have noticed throughout all of this, and I'm, I'm sure that you have covered this with, with, uh, with Stan Gravois and your excellent coverage of high school sports. One thing that's encouraging, whether it's collegiate or high school, we know the kids want to play. Sure. Male, they want to play. They're tired. <laughs> They're tired of talking about COVID. You know, and thank gosh, it looks like we have football coming back. We already have, I believe, uh, volleyball going on in some of the high school sports. And so we're having some of these uh, other sports kind of start to take off at the higher level of, FBS football, we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing the Big Ten coming back. We're seeing other other leagues that said that they weren't playing, talking about playing. So it's 
it's been a it's been a very different year. I know I've I've, I've used that term uh, a couple times. I, I I guess the best way that we can look at it still, it's trending in the right direction, but it's, it's truly a fluid situation. I mean, I did not see the extension on recruiting ban being extended through the end of the year as teams are starting to actually play. So that was a definite curveball from the NCAA, but we have to deal with it. And it's not just us at Nichols that are dealing with it. Everyone's having to deal with it. You talked about Lake Charles and, um, you know, it gives just such great perspective. You know, we, we are dealing with a lot of things, but it could always certainly be worse. And I know that, that Nichols Athletics sent a contingent out to Lake Charles uh, recently to go help those folks out. Uh, have you guys reached out, you know, to McNeese Golfer in any way? Or what are you guys, you know, perhaps doing to try to offer them either some, you know, some some support in any kind of way? You know, Coach Coach uh, Derek Pozinski, that, that it's basically his first full year. He was, he was the assistant um, at Louisiana Lafayette before he got the job at McNeese um, on the men's side. You know, he, he had purchased a home literally like two weeks before that storm went through there. And luckily he was okay. It, it, it didn't really tear up. Uh, it wasn't widespread damage or anything like that, but um, we did send a group of supplies and stuff like that up there to help our friends. And and, and um, I have been in contact with them. Just he was back and forth with his staying in Slidell some uh, with with his parents just because he didn't have water. He didn't have power. He finally has water now, but it's it's basically on a bowl advisory. Last time I spoke with him, but. We've been there. I mean, we have, we, you know, we have been there. Now, I have not seen that level of devastation, uh, in this area. Gustav was, uh, you know, three or two, whatever it was. We didn't have power for a while. That was the biggest thing that we had. But, um, we had all thought Rita years back may have been the worst storm that they would ever have in a number of years to hit that area. And, uh, we saw that Laura was worse. I have a former player who uh, is an accountant, and he lives in, in the DeRitter area, which is just right outside of Lake Charles. And he sent me some video and pictures that are just really unbelievable. Um, the amount of trees and just trees and uh, destruction that was caused by that storm. It's, um, I'm glad that he's okay, and I'm glad that, all of our student athletes at McNeese, you know, we want to beat the heck out of them every time we play them. But when stuff like this happens, it, it um, if you don't feel for folks going through stuff like that, you probably haven't gone through it yourself. No doubt. Very well said. On a brighter note, we have the U.S. Open this weekend. Uh, first round started today. <clears throat> Coach, the guy that you and I both picked, Justin Thomas, is in the lead right now. Five under par shot of 65 today. Um, I know that you've been out and about today, but I know that in the back of your uh, your your mind, you've been kind of taking a peek at that leaderboard, watching a little bit of it. What are your thoughts after day one over in, in New York at Wingfoot? Don't tell too many people, Casey, that you and I have the same pick because no one's going to believe <laughs> us because they know how different we are, especially with the types of players. But we did uh, the facts are we did pick the same person. Here's here's what I think we're going to see going forward. Uh, round one is wrapping up now. We've got Reed at four under, and we have uh, Justin Thomas, our pick, at five. One important thing to remember that people aren't really talking about. Typically, this tournament is held much earlier in the year. And because of COVID, we're having it at the present date that we're having it. Remember, for this major, you have to get 
144 participants for the first two rounds. That's Thursday and Friday. You have to get 144 players to finish. Then you have your cut after 36 holes. Then it's switched to, I, I guess it's low 70 in ties, or it could be something around that. I don't know the exact number, but I am sure about the 144. My point with that is they cannot make it too difficult or as difficult as they can potentially make it on Thursday and Friday because the field would not finish. You need to try to get each round in completed and so you can get through Thursday, through Friday, and then have your 36-hole cut. I predict they will control the firmness of the golf course as best they can, and you will see a much different golf course heading into Sunday. Remember, the goal of the USGA is not to have a 20-under par win winner. That is not what they want. They want something around even par. So how do you change that? You can change it primarily with your hole locations and where you cut the holes on each hole and how difficult those are. So all that we've heard is how difficult the golf course is. Remember, they're trying to get 144 players in through Friday with less daylight because of the time of year that we have. I'll look for the golf course to step back up and be extremely difficult over the weekend. I still say somewhere between even and two to three under, I feel will be the winner. That's that's my opinion. If they have rain or if the course gets much softer or stuff like that, that could change things. But wing foot is not the same wing foot that we had when Mickelson hit the errant drives and he made triple or double on the last hole for Ogilvy to win. This golf course, the West course, has been redesigned. So it's a different, totally different setup. The one thing that is a, a, a constant is Justin Thomas's caddy is Bones Mackay, Jim Mackay, who was Mickelson's caddy. So he knows the basic setup of the course. He has the experience. He's the, one of the most experienced, experienced caddies on tour. And Justin Thomas has been extremely consistent with him on the bag since they started working together. Uh, through round one, DJ is uh, struggling. Uh, it's just hard to keep up the momentum that DJ had going throughout all the tournaments and then keep it going through another major. So uh, it's not really that surprising to see you would have a little bit of a lull. We'll see if he can rebound and maybe make the cut. But I look for the golf course to bounce back this week. Remember, two of the most difficult golf courses on a tip on the U.S. Open rotation that you've had throughout the years, Wingfoot and Oakmont. Uh, both up in the Northeast, you know, with Oakmont. I've actually played Oakmont. It's in, uh, not too far from Wingfoot, but up there in Pennsylvania. So um, I think I think we'll see the golf course bounce back. I don't think it's going to be a 15 or a 20 under par. Of course, what do I know? I'm not out there hitting the shots. But I, I, what I do know is the, USJ, the USGA does not want that to happen. So, you know, if your prediction is correct, and it sounds like it'd be a situation, Coach, where you just got to make the cut, you know, make the cut and whatever the cut line is going to be, and then, you know, play good golf in the weekend and crazy things may happen. We may see a guy that's seven, eight shots back tomorrow, makes the cut, you know, you know, a couple shots away from the number, you know, end up being on the first page of the leaderboard come Sunday. You can make the cut. You have a chance. 
Uh, I mean, any, I, I think anyone within 10 shots of the lead after 36 holes has a shot. Um, I still look for Shoffley to be there as well. Um, I don't know where he is on his round right now. I think he was one under or something like that. But uh, the, the guy has been so consistent um, throughout a lot of the tournaments that he's been around. He, he, he's just he's just all as all facets of his game are, are pretty pretty solid. And you know he's just up there a whole lot. Eventually, this guy's going to break through. I'm with you. Uh, looking at the board, we've got you know Thomas five under, Shoffley birdied eighteen, so he finishes round at two under par. One question, and then then we'll let you go. Uh, Phil Mickelson today did not play well, nine over par, uh, shot of seventy nine. There's so much talk about Phil um, because he is over fifty now, and he's reluctant to play on on the Champions Tour. He played one tournament there, cruised, you know, won fairly easily uh, on the PGA Tour. Has had mixed luck. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, and you know, in terms of a guy who could potentially, you know, lessen the stakes a little bit, go play on shorter golf courses and ball, but still has the the mindset of, hey, I want to play with the big dogs. What do you think his next couple of years are going to look like? I think I, I think you're going to see him. I think you're going to see him a good bit um, on the PGA Tour. If you recall, VJ Singh did this for quite some time after he turned fifty and was competitive. Now, what you will not see is you will not see Phil. One thing that has stayed constant with Phil is his inability. No matter who the instructor is, if it was if it, when it was Rick Smith, it was years back. With the guy, what has been his downfall? His accuracy off the tee, and I don't know if that's ever improved a whole whole lot. Uh, w- w- one thing he is doing is working on hitting the ball farther, and that's fine. Um, but at some point. You have to be able to have a good mix, especially for a U.S. Open. I did not like Tiger for this event. Now, he may do better than I thought. I just don't think Tiger hits the ball far enough anymore off the tee to compete. This course is almost 7,500 yards. So if you're playing Latour Intercollegiate, that's an additional, you know, 300 yards or so, maybe even more from the back of the pro tee that we're playing at Latour. It's very, very difficult, and I think because of Phil's attitude and personality, he's going to keep playing out there. The, the thing you have to look at, though, is if, if, if you as a player are going to shoot, and I'm not, we're not saying that he's going to shoot that number again tomorrow on Friday, but let's say that he would. If you have zero shot to make the cut – Unfortunately, what you're doing is you're taking up a spot for someone else who maybe can compete better than you. So, uh, listen, there's a lot of good players out there. You've got John Pock, who's in college at Florida, right? At the Florida State, playing for Trey Jones. You have uh, Davis Thompson uh, from Georgia who is currently in college or was, I'm not sure if he's going to come back, but he was still, he's still, he's still scheduled to play and was on the team. Thompson is one under par after one round at the U S open. He was in the field two years ago when our colonels played at Louisiana tech. He won that, he, he won that tournament as well, but that's what you're getting at. So you're getting guys that we have played a year and a half ago in a college tournament who were one under par granted a phenomenal player, 
And then Mickelson shooting what he shot today. So I, I think you see my point about if you really can't compete, you're taking up spots from other young men that could be there and really benefit from that. Still doesn't need the money. He has all the money he's ever going to need or he should. You know, so that's what you're going to have to kind of look at. But I can see him playing 15 PGA Tour events a year. I mean, what doesn't help? When he goes to the senior event and laps the field, his ego even gets bigger, right? (laughs) Well, I don't need to be out here. You know, I need to be playing with these other guys. Well, you go play like you did today and you can get humbled. Yeah, I, I hear you. Well, Coach, look, we thank you so much for the time and we'll chat again soon, okay? Sounds great, Casey. Yes, sir. Absolutely great stuff from Coach Schilling. Um, I was getting ready in the next segment of the show to go off on the USGA uh, for having a little bit of an easier course. But what he said uh, made perfect sense. They just don't have enough time in the day, literally, um, to get the rounds in. So I think that over the weekend we'll see a, a, a much more difficult golf course and Great stuff. They're doing a great job. Um, you know, support Nichols Golf. We certainly are big fans of that program, and we wish them well going forward. Let's catch a break. When we get back, we're going to talk the NBA, um, the NFL, what we saw in week one of the NFL, what we expect to see in week two. Uh, we're going to talk about college football, uh, the MLB, all that and more. It'll be an all-encompassing segment of the Casey's Corner podcast right after this break. So today I come to you guys with some fantastic news. At a time in news media where everyone is shrinking their coverage, everyone is putting up paywalls so that you have to pay for your coverage, everybody is printing fewer copies of their paper and finding good, reliable news is harder than ever, we at the Lafouche Gazette are going the opposite direction. Today I'm proud to announce that instead of shrinking the number of papers that we print, we're expanding our coverage and we're expanding our coverage area. We're now going to have boxes in Northern Lafourche, in the Northern Raceland communities, in the St. Charles communities, and in the Thibodeau community. We're going to be doing the best that we can to reach every single household in Lafourche Parish and every single person who wants access to our newspaper in the physical copy and online will be able to get that. So thank you guys so much, very much from the bottom of my heart. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone on our team. Thank you so much for allowing this to happen. And keep reading. We are LaFouche Strong 100% of the time. High School Football Coach and Nichols Golf Coach James Schilling for their time. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Now we wrap up the show by talking about some things in the world of sports. Uh, NFL Week 1, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about and slash make fun of the Big Ten and some of the other conferences for crawfishing and playing politics. But I'm going to warn you to not get too excited about those conferences coming back because I think that there are a lot of agendas in play here. I'll talk about all of that in just a second. Um, We'll talk about the MLB there in the final stretch run. Um, We'll talk a little bit about the U.S. Open. Not a ton, but we spent some time with that with uh, Coach Schilling earlier in the show. 
Uh, but anyway, we'll lead off with the NBA. Um, and boy, a lot has changed since the last time we did a show. Um, the last time we did a show, I was very all in on the Los Angeles Clippers. I thought that they were going to be the NBA champions. And quite frankly, I didn't think that they were going to be challenged along the way. I thought that they were going to have enough offense and so much high-level defense that they were going to just swarm teams with their ability to guard the perimeter with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Patrick Beverly and others. And I didn't think the Nuggets, for sure as hell, could challenge them. Um, and I didn't think that the Lakers could beat him, though I thought you know certainly that would be a more competitive series. Um, man, was I wrong. Like I swung and missed and flat-out whiffed. And uh, I owe the Nuggets an apology. Didn't give them a snowball's chance in hell of beating the Clippers. I owe them an apology. Um, I owe the Lakers a little bit of an apology because I thought the Rockets would challenge them a little bit more than what they did. The Lakers are better than what I thought they were going into that series. They're better defensively. They're better offensively. And um, I think that right now they've got to be considered the favorites. Uh, Miami and Boston, I think, are going to beat up one another. I think the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets fairly comfortably, though I think that Jokic and those guys you know, have, have enough energy defensively and enough shot making and enough diversity in their offense where they can make that a challenging series. I think the Lakers are going to win relatively comfortably. And they've got to be considered the favorites now. Um, and if you're LeBron James, um, you better win the championship because the two seed in the West, the team that everybody you know, said was going to be your nemesis, they're out. On the other side of the bracket, the one and the two seed in the East are out. You've got a very light road, so they better win it all uh, or else he's going to take a lot of shit, and rightfully so from a lot of folks in the basketball community. So I think the Lakers are the favorites, um, and I certainly think that um, we're in a situation where uh, they've got to be considered the team to beat, and we'll see how it goes from here. There are a lot of whispers about the Clippers, man. Like there are a lot of whispers about, um, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard maybe not getting along, and Doc Rivers maybe not getting along with some of those guys. And I'm curious to see what they do in the off season. Um, you know, this is a team that gave up a whole lot of shit to get Paul George, and guess what? Paul George is kind of counterfeit. Um, every single year we hear. Oh man, Paul George this, Paul George that. And then he starts off and he plays well in the regular season. And even some years as you know, all-star pushing to start in the all-star game. And even, you know, with the OKC team was pushing to be in the MVP discussion. And then the playoffs start and dude doesn't do a damn thing. Um, he was wretched in the postseason this year. Wretched in the postseason at Oklahoma City last year. Um, he's just got this issue when teams start playing legitimate, for real playoff defense. He can't get it done. He's counterfeit. Their role players are older. Lou Williams is getting older. Patrick Beverly's getting older. Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, as great as he is, the whole injury situation where he has to load manage throughout the season and you know, it just looks fishy to me. Uh, the fact that the team who rest more than any other team in the league was complaining that they were tired in Game 7 against a team who was down 3-1 now for two straight series who looked like they had a ton of gas left in the tank. Um, Clippers getting older. 
I don't know how much their stars like one another, and they're going to be a team in the offseason that I'm going to be very closely following and very closely paying attention to um, because, man, they've got a they've got a lot of shit to figure out. Um, and I'm excited to see how that goes the rest of the way over in the, the bubble in Orlando. Now, shift gears a little bit, and we'll spend some time talking about the NFL. The NFL started last week. Um, I think it's kind of funny that everybody, whenever I want to talk about the NFL, talks to me about ratings this, ratings that. I'm not watching this. I'm not watching that. But yet the Saints game was the highest watched uh, game in the Fox slate. And the ratings in the state of Louisiana were through the roof. Um, I told you guys last show you guys were lying to me. Um, and I'm now more convinced than ever that you guys were lying to me. Um, but whatever, that's fine. You know, I, I'm watching, so I'm going to respect that you guys are watching as well. Um, and we'll talk about some football and, and we'll, you know, leave it at that. Um, a couple of observations. I'll give you five or six things that I really liked in week one. The first thing, like, I'm, I'm so happy for Clyde Edwards Elaire. Um, I said when he was drafted that he couldn't have landed in a better situation. A team that, um, is so pass dependent and so dangerous through the air with such a diverse and mobile quarterback um, and with a head coach in Andy Reid who has used and has had success with smaller pass-catching running backs in his past, there was just no doubt that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was going to go into Kansas City and be an instant impact player. And in his first game, 25 carries, 138 yards, and a touchdown. The Chiefs are loaded, man. Like I don't like talking about teams going back-to-back in the NFL Because so rarely does that happen anymore. There's so much parity. The Chiefs are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And they looked like the best team again um, in week one last Thursday. They looked like a team that, as I'm watching, I'm just thinking to myself, oh shit, I I don't know who's going to beat these guys. Because they're awfully good offensively, obviously, with Mahomes and the weapons, you know, Kelsey and Hill and all the weapons that they have. But they're really good on defense too, man. Like for the first three quarters of the game, the Texans couldn't do anything. They got some garbage stuff at the end of the game, got to their 20 points. But they're really good defensively. And then, oh yeah, now they have the threat of the running game and they could slow a game down. So if they're fearful of your offense, they could take the air out of the ball and smother you. Like these guys, we were doing our betting blitz and you know trying to pick overs and unders. I think they were over under 11. And I remember going over because they were 13-3 and three last year or something like that, and Mahomes was hurt. And I remember saying, like, these dudes had a lot of crazy shit happen to them last year and it didn't get them down. This year, they're going to be even better. And sure enough, that it looks like that's going to be the case. That was my first takeaway from the weekends. The Chiefs are really good. They're going to be a team that's going to be really difficult to beat. Um, and look out, man. And, and my second takeaway from the NFL, week one, no one's talking about this team And I think it's a big mistake that we're all making. Um, The Buffalo Bills are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Uh, I I said this again in our betting blitz. The Buffalo Buffalo Bills have an incredibly talented roster that you now add Stephon Diggs to, that you now add an extra year of progression uh, in Josh Allen to. And in week one, Josh Allen was 33 of 46, 312 yards, two touchdowns, rushed for 57 yards with a touchdown. He was always kind of the dude who would 
manage the game, not turn it over a whole lot. He'd be the guy who would go, you know, 15 for 28 with 170 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He would make up for the lack of accuracy by running for a couple of first downs here or there. But if he could become this dude that now suddenly could throw for 300 yards in a game consistently with the roster, with the weapons, with Diggs and Cole Beasley and some of the other guys that they got, um, look out. Because that division isn't as good, and their defense is incredibly good. Like, look out for Buffalo. This is a team. I'll pull it up right now. I have my sports betting side open right now. Let me pull it up. Super Bowl odds, NFL futures. Let's see if I can find them. Yeah, NFL futures. The Bills currently are nine to one to win the AFC, and I love that. I think that that's great odds for them. Um. And they're barely even a favorite to win the AFC East. Because for some reason, people think New England's good, um, even though they kind of had struggles with Miami. So if you're looking to make some money on a team, Buffalo is is a great pick. They are, let's see, the odds for the Super Bowl. They're 20-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. The Cowboys, my Cowboys, who struggled in week one, are ahead of Buffalo. Um they're on par with New England to win the Super Bowl. I think Buffalo is a far better team than New England. They're being slept on big time. They're going to have a chance to make another, another statement this coming weekend against Miami. Um, they're a team that I think is a legitimate contender. Josh Allen impressed the hell out of me on Sunday. Their roster's good. Their defense is good. I would feel a little more secure if they had a better running back. Because Josh Allen does take a beating out there doing a lot of their running. But he's a big, strong, thick guy. I think he could survive the season. Third takeaway um, from the NFL weekend, the NFC East is awful. (laughs) Uh, Not that they were any good last year, uh, so this should come as no surprise to anyone. Last year, you know, being the year that, that, you know, every one of the teams struggled to be 500 and the Eagles ended up winning the championship with a, uh, you know, a less than record. They were 9-7, and didn't even get to 10 wins. Last year, the Eagles were 9-7, and seven, the Cowboys were 8-8, eight and eight, the Giants were 4-12, and 12, the Washington football team was 3-13. and 13. In week one, all four of the teams looked like hell. Um, the only one that won was the Washington football team, and I don't think anybody think that, thinks that that is overly sustainable. The Eagles' offensive line is, an, you know, is a complete and utter dumpster fire. They cannot block anyone. Carson Wentz got sacked eight times on Sunday against Washington. Their running game was non-existent, partially because of the offensive line, partially because they have Boston Scott as their lead running back. That's former nobody for the New Orleans Saints. So now he's a nice story, but he's a scad back third down guy. He's not a lead running back. And their weapons are still very limited. Outside of Zach Ertz, like they don't have anything that you really have to fear. Um, so they're a train wreck. Washington beat them 27-17 in the opening week. I don't think anybody feels like that's sustainable. Dwayne Haskins is very limited. They, too, don't have a great running game. Um, So those two teams didn't look great. The Giants looked absolutely horrible on Monday night, losing to the Steelers 26-16. Daniel Jones turns over the ball like a bakery. Their offensive line is also awful. Saquon Barkley, 15 carries, 6 yards. And... My Cowboys didn't look any good either. Um, the Cowboys, now, I'll give them a little bit of a pass, and you're, you guys are going to say, 
I'm giving them a pass because they're my team and whatever it may be. And that's truly not it because anybody who knows me well knows that I'm the first person to pile on the Cowboys whenever they deserve it. Um, I give the Cowboys a little bit of a pass because I could see a path, at least for them, to where they could get a little bit better. Um, I think that they're going to get healthier. Lyle Collins will come back in the next month or so. He's going to help their offensive line. They are playing without Sean Lee and then now also Leighton Vander Esch. That hurts their linebackers tremendously. Getting one or both of those guys back will help them tremendously. Um, Young secondary, players who should get better as the year goes on. So with Dallas, uh, oh, and oh yeah, you're you're learning a new system with Mike McCarthy. So with Dallas, um, I'm a little bit less worried. You just got to survive the first month with Dallas. Don't start off 1-5. Don't start off 0-4. And, and, you know, you should get better as the year goes on. But even they were a little bit limited and didn't look incredibly explosive, though I think the Rams looked pretty good in that game and did some really good things. Um, so that's, you know, take away from that game. That division's awful. Um, and that's also why I'm confident in Dallas um, going forward is that I don't think they have to win more than eight or nine games to win the division. Who's going to pass them up at this point? Um Who's going to be the team that right now you could look at them and say definitively that team's winning 10 games? I can't look at any of those teams in the division right now and definitively say that any of them are winning seven games. So I think that Dallas is in a situation they could just hold on, ride the ship, um, survive the first month. They'll be in better shape. Uh, They've got a little bit of a lighter load coming up. They play Atlanta. That's a big game. They'd love to win that one because in there at Seattle, that's a tough game. But after that, you got... Browns, Giants, Cardinals all at home. Those should be three wins. So they're in a position to where they could get things settled, get things right, get things back under control. So I'm a little less worried about them, but that division is an absolute train wreck. Um, Another observation that I would like to make from week one of the NFL season, uh, my man Joe Burrow's got it, bro. Um, It was a very uninspiring opener for Burrow and the Bengals. They lost 16-13 to to the Chargers. Um, But everything that you want to see a rookie quarterback do, he did. He didn't turn over the ball a ton, just one turnover in the game. He was accurate, 23-36 of passing. He was efficient as a runner, had 46 yards rushing. And late with the game on the line, down 16-13 to without timeouts in his first ever late game two-minute situation, the some bitch drove the team all the way down the field and should have won the game if not for a bogus offensive pass interference call that negated a touchdown and then should have forced overtime if not for an idiot kicker missing a short field goal and costing the team the game. There's just something about the dude. I don't know what it is. Um, LSU fans understand what I'm talking about. There's just that trust there. He's coach's son. Um, he's just a football player. And late with the game on the line, He's going to make it happen for you. In his first NFL game, he deserved better than the result that he got. But for the Bengals, you lay a couple of uh, poker chips on those guys for the next 10 or so years because they're going to be awfully good for an awfully long time um, as long as he's there. Because having him in your locker room ensures that you have a chance. And that's something the Bengals have not had for a long time is a chance. They've got a chance now. They, they, they've got their quarterback. They found their guy. Um, so happy for him. He did such a great job in week one. Look forward to watching him tonight.
Another NFL observation, the Browns are an absolute train wreck, an absolute um, complete and total mess. Predictably, but completely and totally a mess. Odell Beckham is the most overrated player perhaps in the history of the NFL. Um, For all of the mess that you have to deal with off the field with Odell Beckham, the dancing, the the, the buffoonery, the getting celebration penalties and you know, the trade request and the big contract and everything that you got to deal with with the guy. A, even when he was at his peak with the Giants, his teams overwhelmingly had a losing record in games that he got 100 yards in. So his performance is not impacting the bottom line at all. And then B, those big 100-yard games now just don't even happen anymore. On Sunday, Odell Beckham had three catches for 22 yards. He was targeted 10 times. The Browns looked like a complete and utter train wreck. Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield looked okay. Their running game looked okay. Their defense looked like a dumpster fire. Granted, they played the Ravens, who were one of the Super Bowl favorites. But this is a team that's got some talent, man. Like You've got good tight ends. You've got good receivers, good running backs, a good young quarterback. You're supposed to be good on defense, there are not a whole lot of weaknesses on paper, man. Like at some point, you should be betting, finding better results than this. The Ravens beat the hell out of these guys in the opening week of the season, and it was mostly non-competitive. Um, so I, I the, they've got to figure something out. Now there are reports that the team's looking to trade Odell in the coming days. If it were me, I would I would have done that this off season. I don't I don't want the guy in my locker room. Hell, the guy can't even go in LSU's locker room without damn near getting arrested for the national championship game. Dude's a mess. Um, everywhere he goes is worse for the wear. Um, there's no way that this team is going to compete. Um, they're a mess. They've got to get. They've got to figure some things out. And they've got to figure some some things out fast. Uh, one more, and then I'll talk about the New Orleans Saints, and then we'll look forward to week two. Um, New England is going to be an interesting team to watch. I don't think that they're any good. Um, I don't think that they're a threat to win the Super Bowl. I don't think that they're a threat to, you know, go 12-4 and four or anything like that. But here's what I know. We said throughout the offseason that Cam Newton was washed unless, and this is a big unless, we said Cam Newton was washed unless he was willing to become a runner again. And in week one, he ran 15 times for 75 yards and two touchdowns. I don't think he's a passer anymore. Like I, I know that he could complete some shard stuff and he could throw it deep and stretch the field every once in a while. Like I'm not trying to say the dude's a running back. Like that's not what I'm saying. But he's not the guy who's going to stand in the pocket, throw the ball 40 or 50 times, and beat you with his arm. It's got to be mixed. It's got to be varied. They've got to play a different style than everyone else to have success offensively. And in week one, their offense was a little bit of a mess. They only scored 21 points against kind of a weaker Dolphins team. But they played one of the faster games in week one because they slowed the game down so much. And you could do that whenever you're being run heavy on first down, creating a lot of third and shorts, which play into Cam Newton's strengths as a thrower and as a runner. And they control time of possession They kept their defense off of the field, and they thoroughly controlled the game, possessed the ball for almost 35 minutes, and beat the Dolphins 21-11. to Um, And I think that they're going to be a team almost like Tennessee last year in that they're going to be well-coached. 
They're going to play good defense. And if they could just get anything out of their passing attack, they're going to be a threat on any given week to beat anybody. Now, I think that there's a ceiling there. I don't think that you can win the Super Bowl playing this ball control, you know, very few big plays offense. And if you look at their offense on Sunday, their largest play was a 25-yard reception to Ryan Izzo. You've got to get 30, 40-yard chunks every once in a while. So you can't just go seven, eight yards in a cloud of dust um, in the NFL because you're going to eventually lose yards. You're going to eventually have a penalty. Like you can't go down the field in four and five-yard chunks in the NFL. It's not the way it works. The defense is going to eventually fight back. You need to get big plays occasionally. Um, But if they could get a few more of those out of Newton with that defense, with that slowed-down tempo and pace that they play, they're going to be a nightmare matchup, man. It's almost like facing a triple option team. Everybody in the NFL today is all about speed. Let's get up and down the field quick, and you know, let's have these big hitters. And They're a little bit more of a methodical team, and they frustrate you because you look up at the clock, and you realize, man, we haven't had the ball in eight minutes of game time. And, and coaches, offensive coaches especially, they're, they're very into their shit. And what I mean by that is they go into the game and they have this big checklist of all the things they want to do. And, yeah, I'm going to run this play. And, yeah, we'll get this shit in. And, yeah, we'll do that. We'll run this reverse. We'll run this flea flicker. And you're, you're planning when you make those plans to have 65, 70 snaps in a game. But what happens is whenever that gets condensed down to 50, 55 snaps, um, then you kind of, as a play caller, kind of start rushing in a little bit. And that make, you know, plays you right into the hands of the defense. That forces you off the field quicker. You turn it over. You go three and out. You get sacked. miss a coverage, whatever it may be. And then guess what? You're right back on the field defensively, and they're continuing to grind the axe on you again. So New England's a little bit of an oddball, man. They're a team that I don't think is a Super Bowl contender. But they're a night, nightmare matchup, man. Like, who wants to face Bill Belichick in a first-round wild-card game, whether they have the most talent in the game or not? Um, so they're a team that's going to be worth keeping an eye on throughout the course of the season. Week one observations from the Saints are as follows. I thought the Saints played pretty well. I was very impressed with their defense um, against Tampa. Tampa went straight down the field early in the game, scored like a knife through butter. And, you know, you're immediately thinking to yourself, like, you know, this this might get ugly here. <laughs> this might not be the best situation here. Um, but, you know, they quickly righted the ship and played much better the rest of the way. Got pressure on Tom Brady. That's the key. If Tom Brady has time to settle his feet, um, he's going to pick you apart. He's going to be dominant. Um, but they got good pressure on him. Didn't allow him to, you know, keep his feet settled for very much and Got a pick six, got a blocked kick. Um, The only concerns I would have about New Orleans going forward, ah, man, I don't know that that offense is any good anymore. And, like, I know that it's such blasphemy to say that a Sean Payton offense will suddenly not be good, but they had 13 drives on Sunday and only gained 271 yards. Now, granted, they did have a possession taken away by the interception return for a touchdown. I concede that. Um, but they're just not explosive, man. Like, all the same stuff we talked about with New England a minute ago, that's kind of what the Saints are, man. Like, they don't get a whole lot of 40 and 50-yard plays. And it, we can make the jokes about Drew Brees' arm. Um, Drew Brees isn't going to turn over the ball. But it's tough to win high-level postseason football games when you just don't get big plays ever. Um, Breeze, 18 of 30, 160 yards, two touchdowns. 
he was okay. He, he was just okay. Their running game, 34 carries, 82 yards rushing. That's only 2.4 a carry. That's not any good. That was just okay. Um, receiving, Jared Cook was great. I'll give Jared Cook all the due. He was phenomenal. But everybody else just looked kind of, eh. Alvin Kamara, five catches, 51 yards. But 38 of those 51 yards came on one catch. So the rest were four for you know just a dozen yards. Uh, Michael Thomas shut down three for 17. Emmanuel Sanders shut down three for 15. This is a Tampa defense that last year was not any good. So that's why it's a little bit of a concern. Is Got to find some explosion in this offense. Got to find a little bit of big playability in this offense because if teams could bring their safeties up and you know really condense the field, it becomes difficult to move the ball in the red zone especially. And, you know, I think the red zone offense is one of the biggest ways that you win world championships, not having to kick field goals. The Saints had to kick a couple of them on Sunday. And though Tampa Bay didn't play well and the defense for New Orleans played beautifully, um, don't want to continue that trend. I think Tampa Bay is going to continue to get better as the year goes on. There's there's so much that needs to be worked out there. Um, so much change. So much change in their arsenal and their weaponry. Um and I think more important than that, there's a big-time culture change that has to happen in Tampa. That's an organization that's used to losing, used to being okay with just being decent and just kind of half-assing it. Whenever you allow your quarterback to turn over the ball 40 times in a season, you're not serious about winning. Tom Brady is serious about winning, so they've got to change that culture a little bit. A lot of pre-snap offsides penalties and allowing a kick to be blocked, it's a little bit inexcusable. Um, you know, some of the untimely mistakes that they made, they're going to clean that up. So, and that's kind of what I talked about throughout the off season is that new Orleans needed to win this one more than Tampa did because you don't want to be behind Tampa right now because they're going to get better. New Orleans is going to get a little better too, obviously, but Tampa has potential to rapidly get better as the season goes on and as they figure things out. So you want to right now be head and shoulders above those guys um, to give yourself a little cushion for whenever they do make some of those uh, progressions. And it looks like New Orleans is winning that game comfortably. It's a little weird to not hear fans in the dome, but some of the piped-in sounds and everything made it okay to to watch. And good for the Saints. They improved to 1-0 in the season, now travel to play Monday night tilt against Las Vegas uh, without Michael Thomas, which we'll talk about that in, a little bit later on in the show. So looking forward to week two now in the NFL season, there are a lot of big time matchups and I'll give a couple of things that I'm leaning towards and a couple of things that I'm watching. Um, I look forward to watching the Falcons and the Cowboys. Those are two teams that Saints fans dislike. Obviously, I like the Cowboys. Dallas is a four point favorite. Can they rebound? Can they ride the ship? Can they make things happen at home and send Atlanta to 0-2 right out of the gate? That would be very big. Um I am eager to watch the Vikings and the Colts. These are two teams that I think are both Super Bowl contenders. Um, and they both lost in week one and, and didn't look very good doing it, right? Um, Vikings got uh, demolished by Green Bay. Uh, the Colts lost a game to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, why? Like, that didn't make any sense at all. Colts are three point favorite. Uh, Phillip Rivers looked pretty good, if not for a couple of turnovers in that game. I'm going to have my eyes, eyes peeled on Lucas Oil Stadium. Very much uh, eager to see the Vikings and the Colts in week two. 
Rams and the Eagles. The Eagles are one-point favorite. I don't understand why. Um, They looked awful in week one. The Rams have a great defensive line. The Eagles have a terrible offensive line. Um, The Eagles are in a little bit of a must-win situation there. The Rams, I think, played pretty well on Sunday night. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, I'm also looking forward to watching uh, the the, the Saints and the Raiders. Uh, You know, the Saints and the Raiders, are that's going to be a matchup of two teams that are 1-0. New Orleans without Michael Thomas. John Gruden is a great offensive play caller. He could scheme up, you know, game plan against anybody. They played well against Carolina in week one. Um, Josh Jacobs, big, heavy physical running back, three touchdowns in the opening week of the season. Get a chance to see the new beautiful stadium in Las Vegas. Um, I'm looking forward to that one and and seeing how that one plays out. The Saints are a six-point favorite, uh, but we'll see how it goes. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take – uh, you know, Colin Cowherd calls it his blazing five picks. I don't, I'm not going to have any kind of catchy name. It's going to stay our sports betting blitz. I'm going to give you five picks in the upcoming NFL schedule that I like, and we'll kind of just ride with it and go from there. The first pick that I like is give me San Francisco over the Jets on the road. Give me the seven points. I think the 49ers win and cover. I think they're going to be angry about how they played in Week 1 losing to Arizona. I think the Jets are a bit of a train wreck. They're going to be without Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think that they're going to be forced into a lot of third and longs. Give me the 49ers and the 7 points to beat the Jets on Sunday. Pick number 2. I touched on this a minute ago and I stand by it. Give me the Rams on the road. They're a one-point underdog. For some reason, I will never understand against the Eagles. I think Goff is going to play well. I like the Rams up front more than I like the Eagles, who I don't trust at all at this point. Give me the Rams and the point on the road to win outright against the Philadelphia Eagles. The next pick that I like, and I'm, it, it's 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 always tough to pick a team to cover in the NFL when they're so heavily favored, but I'm picking the Chiefs and the eight and a half to beat the Chargers. Like. You're looking at a Chargers team that, though they won in week one, they didn't look good doing it. They struggled against a Bengals team that is not very talented, not very gifted. Tyrod Taylor against that Kansas City defense should be a mismatch. Patrick Mahomes and that offense against any defense should be a mismatch. I think the Chiefs are going to win easily. Um, You know, being on the road isn't going to bother them. There are no fans in the stands. So I think Kansas City is head and shoulders better, and they score a 10-point win over the charges and improved to 2 and 0. My fourth pick, I like Seattle and the three and a half to beat New England. I think the Seahawks, Russell Wilson was out of this world good in the first game. Cam Newton is going to get into a little bit of a gunfight with those guys, going to be a little bit of a shootout. I don't think that he's going to have enough to score with Seattle. Give me the Seahawks to cover the three and a half, and I think they're going to win easily, win by, you know, about a touchdown and a half over New England. The last pick that I'm going to make is, let's see what we've got here. I'm scrolling up and down the list of games. I've got a few of them that are on my radar, and we'll stop at this one. I'm going to go under 49 points for Green Bay and Detroit. Um, I think the Packers are going to show up, play pretty good defense, get out in front of that one early and then be well in control and have the situation where they could just kind of grind out a win. So give me under 49 for Green Bay over Detroit, and those are our five picks in our sports betting blitz for week two 
of the NFL season. And just for giggles, I'll go ahead and pick the Saints game. I think the Saints are going to beat the Raiders 24 to 21. So if you follow the you know Las Vegas, I'm saying that the Raiders will cover the six-point spread. I don't feel overly confident either way because I don't know how that Saints offense is going to look without Michael Thomas. But I trust uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton and those guys to make this work. And as I saw on Twitter earlier this week, and I thought that it made perfect sense, if they were able to win without Drew Brees last year, um, they should be able to win without Michael Thomas this year. And I think it's actually a very good decision on the, on the Saints' brain trust as part to hold out Michael Thomas. High ankle sprains are not anything to deal with. Um, get that thing out of the window. Hold him out until he is fully healthy. You guys are in a marathon, not a sprint. The Saints are going to be in good position to be deep into the playoff push. I think that it's very wise to hold him out until he's fully healthy. So we've talked a crap ton of NFL here in this segment. Now we're going to poke a little bit of fun at the Big Ten and some of the other cowardly university presidents who um, said that it was unsafe to play college football in the fall and then now have reneged after seeing that it is actually safe and that teams are doing it successfully. Um, I told you my thoughts on this a couple weeks ago. The decision to cancel college football in the Big Ten and in the Pac-12 was absolutely positively not about safety of the players. It was not about COVID. It was not about anything other than presidential politics. Those university presidents were trying to, in an effort to hurt President Donald Trump, make the situation look as bad as humanly possible, as humanly possible rather, to smear him. Um, and that's the reason why this effort and this push to reopen and start playing came, you know, as soon as polls started to tighten up, as soon as Joe Biden started to get a lead uh, that was smaller than it, than it once was in a lot of the swing states, that's when we started to hear, well, jeebers, by golly, we better start playing football. A couple of things to caution you on. Um, I truly believe that while the headlines right now look great and while we have this understanding of Ohio State's going to be coming back. The Mountain West wants to come back. There are talks that the Pac-12 may come back. The MAC is looking at playing. And while there's this monkey-see, monkey-do attitude, I don't think that there's a genuine interest, at least on the Big Ten's part, to actually come back. And you've got to read between the lines to figure out what I mean. I think the Big Ten is coming back only to shut down, only to do a lot of the same things that we talked about a minute ago, smear, and stick their chest out and say, we told you so. You look at their COVID um, guidelines and guidance for coming back. A quarantined player who tests positive for COVID-19 has to be quarantined for 21 days. Um, my grandma's in a nursing home right now. She contracted COVID-19. She wasn't quarantined for 21 days. An 80-plus-year-old woman in a nursing home living with the most at-risk people in the society in the United States would, did, not have to quali- did not have to quarantine as long as a Big Ten football player is going to have to quarantine when contracting COVID-19. That's asinine. That's ludicrous. And that is to work hand-in-hand with this next statistic, which is if a team has 5% or more of their players out at any given time, They have to shut down. They're opening up intentionally to shut down. Mark my words. The Big Ten is opening up to intentionally 
have to shut down so that these academia could say, well, we told you this wasn't safe. And I'll even go a step farther. They're going to shut down about two weeks before the presidential election in an effort to smear, in an effort to try to prove their point and their political opinion correct. I don't think these conferences that were once saying that this is so unsafe and the most unsafe thing that that our society has ever done um, are now suddenly of the opinion and of the belief that this is any more or less safe than what it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't believe that. Um, And I don't think that they ever thought it was unsafe because what reasonable human being would allow 18 through 22-year-olds to be on campus practicing with their teammates but not eligible to play regular season games? I think there's more at play here. I think that um, these guys are opening up purely to close down. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that they have no issues with the virus and are able to play uninterrupted. But if you read between the lines, a 21-day quarantine period is not what is being advised anywhere else in the world. That is designed to intentionally put people on the shelf longer than they need to so that they can get hit with the double whammy, which is 5% out and you're done. They are intentionally opening this thing up only to close back down again. And I think that that is going to end up being more of a black eye than if they would have just stayed closed. They've handled this thing as wrong as you could humanly possible handle it. From the beginning, they have been not forthright from the beginning. They have said that they have had big issues with this from the beginning when they have not. Their guys have been on campus throughout the summer without issue. They've talked about this heart disease that you could get or whatever it may be after COVID and have said that doctors have told them uh, that it was unwise to play without listing any doctors. All the while, there have been hundreds of doctors who have come out publicly and said that it is okay to play. It is safe to play. And they've gone against the head coaches in their own universities. They've gone against the Ohio State football coach you know, uh, Day and, and Harbaugh and uh, Coach James Franklin and uh, Coach Frost at Nebraska and all the folks who have said, hey, we want to do this. We deserve the shot to do this. My own personal politics about this aside, I believe that in America you have the opportunity to try. Just They should have from the beginning done what everyone else is doing and just give them the opportunity to give it a shot. You can't convince me and you can't convince any reasonable human being that if you're already going to be on campus and you're already going to be practicing, that the amount of exposure that you're going to get by playing another team on Saturday is not worthwhile enough to uh, make this something not worth trying to do. If you're going to tell me that you have concerns about COVID, I'm going to understand that because I've lost people to COVID in my family. But if you're going to tell me this is about COVID, then you got to shut down those campuses. you got to shut down those practices. If you're going to play through this, um, <laughs> or excuse me, practice through this rather, I meant to say, and, and not play through this, then you just look like a fool. And that's whenever people like me uh, start thinking that there's more in play here. And I think that any reasonable human being would be able to connect those I's, dot those T's, 
Oh, dot those T's. <laughs> Connect those eyes. Uh, cross those T's. Dot those eyes. However you want to say it. Whatever cheesy cliche you want to say. Um, happy they're back. But again, like I say, just read between the lines. I don't think they're coming back with with pure intentions. I think they're coming back to close down. And their guidance on this is far stricter than other guidances. And I think that they're going to be very disappointed with the end result. And I think that the university presidents themselves know that and are just looking forward to sticking it to the folks and trying to say, oh, well, we told you this is unsafe. Well, if you make unrealistic rules and restrictions, then of course it'll be unsafe. Hope I'm wrong. We'll see how it goes. But it does look like all the other conferences. And that's another thing about this. It kind of pisses me off is like we live in such a monkey see monkey do lawsuit culture. From the beginning of this, this has been the issue, and it grates my nerves. Like, okay, one parish in Louisiana at the beginning of this started a curfew, and then these others were starting to place curfews, and then at, you know by the time it was all over, almost everybody had a curfew. Uh, I was proud of Lafouche Parish for not putting in a curfew because, like, the act of just driving around is not going to spread COVID. At the peak of this, when everything was pretty much closed down at night. What harm were you doing by driving and, you know, going clear your headspace? So I was proud that Lafouche didn't buy into that monkey see, monkey do culture. And then we saw the same thing in sports. Um, This event got canceled. This conference canceled. So, you know, now every conference has to cancel and every conference has to postpone. I'm proud that the SEC and the ACC pushed back because they were right. They were right. There's this rush to judgment throughout all this pandemic of, Hey, we've got to not only cancel today, but we've got to cancel tomorrow, and we've got to cancel three months into the future. Mayor Cantrell in New Orleans is the worst at this, and all of her infinite buffoonery, wanting to cancel everything. She's already on record saying there's not going to be any other you know, large gathering or sporting event in New Orleans, and that there's not going to be any high school football, and no fans at Saints games. And like We are in mid-September. If we continue to make legitimate progress, for the next couple of months, get into early November, and the numbers continue to drop at the rate that they're dropping now, there's going to be no one in the hospitals anymore. Why wouldn't you be inclined to try to then start letting some of your people in the city make money? Why wouldn't you be okay with that? New Orleans is at a place where, this is just me speculating, I think they have more immunity than anyone else in Louisiana does. I think they were hammered so hard in the first wave by COVID during Mardi Gras Their numbers have never gone back up since then. Even in the latest wave, their numbers never have gone back up. They stand the most to lose through this because they're such an economic hub. And they also have the most wiggle room to play with in their hospital system. And the insistence on making blanket decisions about the extended future when we don't know what the extended future is going to be is incredibly asinine and makes no sense. So kudos to these conferences that have just kind of stuck it out. The SEC said from the beginning, hey, we're going to push our start date back to the early fall and we're going to see how it goes. And if the virus situation in America would have continued to get worse, then they would have canceled from there. But they, what they didn't do is they didn't make a rash decision that was based on politics. They didn't panic and, you know, try to cancel the entire world, you know, six months into the future. 
they didn't also lie to their public and say that there would be this mysterious spring football season that everyone knew and I said on this show at the time was never going to happen. That's something the SEC didn't do that they deserve credit for as well. So looks like we're going to have Big Ten football. Um, take it with a grain of salt. I believe it when I see it. Uh, we're certainly going to have SEC football in the coming weeks. LSU is going to be opening up next weekend against Mississippi State. I'm going to break down that matchup and more. Um, one thing about LSU that I'll touch on, and then we'll talk a little bit of MLB, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Coach Ogeron is insistent on the idea that the LSU defense is loaded. Um, he said in a press conference a couple of days ago that the LSU defense right now is better than it was at any point last season. Um, he credits Bo Pelini, who I think is an incredible uh, defensive coordinator, a guy that I covered when I was in Baton Rouge during his first stint at LSU. And Coach Ogeron was giving him a lot of credit for um, you know, changing the culture, changing the vibe, and, and you know, going to more of a t- an attacking scheme. And that was my biggest gripe with Dave Aranda. And I've always thought that he was highly overrated, highly overpaid, didn't deserve all the the money that he was being given and all these pay raises. And I've long said that I thought the first time he held up LSU for more money, they should have let him go to Texas A&M or whoever it may be. Um, but I always thought LSU was a very passive uh, defense, that they were not trying to make anything happen. They were just trying not to screw it up. They were trying not to give up big plays and – they would be too willing to give up um, chunks of yards and field position. And then in the red zone, they try to kind of buckle down. Uh, that's bullshit. If you got the best players, go attack, go take the ball away, make them go three and out, win field position, and then it, the game becomes easier from there. And I think that that's what we're going to see with Coach Pelini is a more of an attacking-based defense that may get burned every once in a while. They may give up a big play or two every once in a while, but they're going to force more turnovers. They're going to force more three and outs. And the game is going to be played now more on LSU's terms than it was at any point in time during the Aranda era. There's not going to be quarterbacks for Ole Miss rushing for 250 yards against LSU and playing this soft uh, man-to-man defense and just kind of playing base all game long and letting your players make plays. Not None of that. Uh, if you've got great talent, lock up the edges, uh, play press on the edges, Go blitz the quarterback. Go hit the quarterback and make things happen. Pull the ball out of, out of his hands. Um, rush him into a throw. Turn him over. Get an interception, whatever it may be. And we're going to see far more of that in the upcoming season. I was excited to hear Coach O talk about how far along his defense is. I think LSU is going to be really good. Um, I think people are underselling LSU in the coming season. I think that they're easily an 8-9 uh, win team. 8-2, uh, 9-1 uh, type team contending for the SEC West again. Despite all the losses, that's a loaded roster. I think they're going to be awfully good. So to wrap up the show today, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball. They are um, nearing the end of their regular season. Like most teams have just 10 or so games left. A couple of things worth noting. We'll kind of break it down division by division. The American League East, it looks like it's going to be the Rays. They're going to win that division. They have a three-game lead over the Yankees. But one thing to pay attention to, um, the Yankees are really good, and the Yankees are a threat to win the entire thing. Um, they were incredibly good at the beginning, had a bunch of injuries, and stumbled in the middle, and now are playing incredibly well again with a seven-game win streak. If they enter the playoffs healthy, um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. They've got high-level front-end starting pitching. They've got slugging and defense for days. 
Uh, the Yankees are going to be a threat, though Tampa Bay is a team that is worth um, shouting out because they're so sound fundamentally. They win so many close games and do so much right in their scouting and everything like that. So it looks like it's going to be Tampa and New York there. Um, in the Central, the Indians have tapered off so much. Um, just goes to show maybe you shouldn't trade a frontline starting pitcher and Mike Clevenger uh, at the trade deadline whenever you're a buyer. Uh, the Indians have lost eight games in a row. They're six games back. The White Sox are in first place. The Twins are in second place, two games back. So it looks like it's going to be the White Sox and the Twins out of the Central. In the West, it's all Oakland. Uh, the A's are 31-19. and 19. Where's my Astros? Like At the beginning of the season, I made fun of the Astros on Twitter. And every single Joe Blow that was an Astros fan in the entire world came and jumped at me. Oh, bro, you can't make a, a rash uh, judgment like that after you know, one week or two weeks or whatever it may be. I said it then, I say it now. The Astros were a product of a cheating scandal that should have never been allowed to happen. They were killing the baseball. They were all world good offensively. Um, and now they're just, yeah, they're just aight because they're playing in the same playing field as everyone else. They're 24 and 25. They're not going to be a factor, in my opinion, in the postseason. Their pitching isn't good enough. They've been missing Verlander. Uh, their offense isn't. Uh, Hulk Hogan anymore. Now it's just a mid-card offense. Um, and the Astros are way behind the A's. It looks like they're going to you know, hold off the Mariners and finish second and make the postseason, uh, but it's not been as comfortable as they would have hoped it would be. The two wild cards in the American League, it looks like it's going to be Toronto and the Indians are basically, let me tell you to like this, basically whoever finishes in third place in the East and in the Central are going to be the two wild cards. Um, because Toronto is nipping at the Yankees' heels. They could potentially pass them up. The Indians can maybe get hot, maybe pass up the Twins. But it looks like that's pretty much how it's going to be. Um, the race for the one seed in the American League is so close. Uh, the Rays, White Sox, and A's are all on top of one another. Twins have an outside shot if they could catch back up. So we're going to be playing for seeding, trying to win divisions, trying to finish you know second, guarantee yourself your spot in the playoffs. The American League playoffs, I think, are going to be incredible. Um, who wants to face the Indians as, you know, a seven seed? Who wants to face the youthful Blue Jays, you know, as, you know, uh, if they're an eight seed and you're a one seed, who wants to face that team? So I think that the American League playoffs are going to be fascinating. Um, can't wait to see how that all shakes out. In the National League, uh, in the East, the Braves are leading by three games over the Marlins and the Phillies. I think they've got that one pretty well under control. Um, the Phillies are struggling. Bryce Harper has not been hitting well. Their pitching is kind of getting beat up. Their bullpen is still just uh, awful. Um, the Marlins have just played so many games. I think they're going to start to fizzle out a little bit. So I think Atlanta is going to hold on. The race in the East, in my opinion, is going to be who finishes second and guarantees themselves a playoff spot. I think Miami has you know the inside track being up by a game. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Mets made a run at it. The Mets are only three and a half games out. They've got an elite front-level uh, pitching. Um, don't count them out to maybe be a surprise team that kind of backs into that second-place finish. In the Central, it's all Cubs. They have a big lead. The Cubs are going to be the team that's going to win the Central. Um, but the race in the Central is going to be for second place because there are now three teams that are competing for that. Cincinnati's currently in second place, 25 and 26. They are tied with the Cardinals, who are 22 and 23. So you've got two teams there who are one game below 500. You favor St. Louis because they're one game below 500, but with many more games to play because they've still got to play a bunch of games to catch up with you know all their COVID postponements. Uh, so you favor them in that the opportunity that they have more games to catch up. 
but that's also more games that they could potentially fall farther behind as well. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Do they have enough gas left in the tank to climb up to second? And then the third team in the mix is Milwaukee. Milwaukee's 23-26. and 26. They're only one game behind the Reds and the Cardinals, so maybe Milwaukee could get hot and secure that spot. And in the West, it's going to be the Dodgers who are going to win the division. The Padres are going to finish second. There's really no drama outside of that. Uh, those teams are far and away ahead of everyone else. Um, the wild card teams, uh, it's going to be a big time mess. Um, the wild card teams in the National League, the Phillies are still in play. The Mets are still in play. Every one of the central teams we talked about, Reds, Cardinals, Brewers, all still in play. In the West, you've got the Giants and the Rockies who are still in play. Um, actually, let me tell you the wild card standings in the um, in the National League right now as it stands. You would have um, the Phillies in the lead oh, by a half game over the Cardinals. Uh, excuse me, the Phillies and the Giants in the lead, and they would have a half game lead over the Cardinals. A uh, couple of game lead over the Brewers, and you know it's going to be tight. There are so many teams competing for not a lot of spots. The final days of the regular season in the National League are going to be madness, and that's what I think makes this expanded playoff fun. I'm not in favor of it in a 162 game season because your season is your playoffs, um, but in a shortened season to see all these teams, almost like playing a game of Fall Guys on PS4, uh, right? You got so many of these teams running to the finish line, and only so many of them can make it there. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see how it all plays out. So Major League Baseball, kudos to them. So many problems, man. So much issues. So many you know hassles and hiccups. Uh, but they have gotten it done. They have gotten it done. They've not had any issues in recent weeks. Kudos to them for following their guidance and making it happen. We're going to wrap up. We thank Chris Dugas for his time. We thank Coach James Schilling for his time. We thank you guys for listening. I'm going to try to be on a more regular schedule. Um, I do this uh, as a hobby. Far work, um, but you know it's it's at the bottom of my responsibilities in terms of managing time. So if ever we could get a couple of weeks in a row here built up where we don't have a hurricane, um, we're going to be doing this more regularly. Uh, next week we've got the start of college football, which we're excited about. Um, start of college football, like it hasn't already started. The start of real college football, LSU college football, which we'll be talking about and we're excited about. Uh, we'll break all that down. We'll continue to break down the NFL. We continue to break down the NBA as they reach the climax of their season. Um, we have some hopes to potentially maybe do some podcasting after some LSU games or after some prep games of interest. So it's been the Casey's Corner Podcast. Subscribe. Find us on iTunes. Subscribe. Hit subscribe, and then your work for the day is done. Hell, not the day. Your work for... Infinity is done. We'll send you every episode straight into your phone. Um, so keep reading LafoucheGazette.com. Thanks so much to everybody for all the compliments and everything on our storm coverage. Saw other local media. Um, you know, like we're not going to do all the, the shady things that those other folks do. We're not going to, you don't have to worry about us lifting up our paywall or, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about on any given day, you know, hey, is there paywall active? Can I read today? Can I read for free today? You don't have to worry about that with us. You don't have to worry about, you know, hey, are they going to be focused on local news today? Or are they going to be focused on shooting a commercial for their marketing company and, uh, you know, getting to their press deadline for their school coloring book magazine? You don't have to worry about that with us. Our 100% commitment is on providing news to you guys. That's the only thing we're focused on. Only newsroom locally that is free and that is uh, 100% uh, trained and everything like that to provide 
um, the, the news, you know, we, we have very well skilled, very well versed in how this works. We understand the Lafouche area and the Bayou region. Um, we don't just have it in our title as, you know, a token. We don't just say that we're, uh, you know, home of Thibodeau and then never cover Thibodeau. Uh, we are Lafouche Gazette. We cover all of Lafouche. Um, it's not, you know, just uh, an advertising ploy for us. We truly do cover all of Lafouche. And we thank you guys for allowing us to grow over the last several weeks. So we're going to sign off right here. Thanks so much for listening. Guys, I can't stress this enough. Um, there's a cold front coming this weekend. Go enjoy it. The weather's going to be absolutely positively beautiful. Take advantage of it. Go sit on the front porch. Enjoy. Smile. Um, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. COVID-19 has has wrecked 2020. We all know someone who has suffered, who has been sick or whatever it may be. We all know someone who has had some sort of stresses, beat economic stresses or whatever it may be from some of the shutdowns or whatever. 2020 has been a wreck, but it's not, I promise you, it's not all been bad. If you think hard enough and figure it out um, and, and just you know think in your head and be objective about it, you could find some good in it. I promise you, it has not all been bad. So focus on the good. Um, find some goodness in your weekend. Enjoy that nice little breeze, that cool little breeze. Enjoy that early morning, a little bit of chill in the air. The seasons are changing in southeast Louisiana. Uh, summer, the worst of summer is now behind us. The days of 100 degree heat are now behind us. And enjoy what little bit of fall that we're going to have. So have a great weekend, y'all. We're going to try to be back next week. And I don't see anything that's going to pro- prohibit that from happening. But Uh, We're going to try to be back next week. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your football weekend. Enjoy your great weather weekend. God bless everybody. Y'all take care. Keep it on the Casey's Corner Podcast. Go on the Casey's Up. Respect.